finish up with the book of Hebrews, Lord willing, tonight uh, in our series, Hebrews, the last part of it. You can remain seated. Uh, uh, I'll just read the scriptures that I wanted to go over with you um, seated there. And so Hebrews chapter 13, I want to start in verse uh, 17. Verse 17, uh, Brother Ryan took us through the first uh, part and taught us that we have an altar and that altar is a place of sacrifice and the sacrifices that we're able now to offer are the sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And so we um, have uh, the opportunity to be well-pleasing in our sacrifices to the Lord in that sense. So <clears throat> down to verse 17 to verse 25. I want to read. And uh, if you would follow along as I read from there. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we trust that we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. But I beseech you uh, the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, the God of peace that brought uh, again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight uh, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written uh, a letter unto you in few words. You know that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he come shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So as we consider the last words of the Apostle Paul to the Hebrews as they were uh, scattered about, but uh, the Hebrew saints, the Hebrew Christians that he was writing to and the encouragements, the exhortations. So now he wraps it all up with some personal notes here and some personal exhortations and encouragement, and we'll take a look at that. These notes written, uh, this epistle written from Italy, it is said that Timothy was the one that uh, was the secretary who took the notations down uh, there and sent it, but uh, he's looking forward to that day to come when he and Timothy will be able to, uh, to come again to the churches there and be uh, encouraged by them and uh, exhorted, be an exhortation to them, so... As we consider what he had to say in the last part here, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, open thy word and ask your blessing on it as we consider the uh, shepherd and the great shepherd, the under-shepherds, the flock, the sheep, the, the exhortations that you have for us here. We pray that you'd uh, guide us as we consider these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible describes the church in several places as a flock. The Bible tells the pastors, he said, to feed the flock of God, and he calls the, the uh, local church, the assembly of believers, a flock in several places, calls us that are saved sheep of his pasture, and so the, uh, the analogy, the illustration is used often in the New Testament and in the Old as well, and of course the word pastor just means shepherd, it's uh, uh, a translation of the word sh for shepherd. So uh, it is uh, an important thing to consider as we look at this relationship between the shepherd and the flock uh, in, the, uh, in the purposes of God. 
as his work is carried out in the world. One of the considerations that all of us need to have, if you are contemplating a move, if you are considering you know, a move, if you're thinking about a job transfer, if you're thinking about a move in any sense, one of the prime considerations that we should look at is, is there a good church where I am intending to move? Is, am I going to have a shepherd? Am I going to have a pastor that uh, is going to uh, help me and guide me and encourage me and exhort me and reprove, rebuke, and correct with, uh, uh, you know, in my, in my life? Am I going to have a relationship with the pastor where I'm going to move? It is not a profitable thing to consider a move that is based simply on the financial advantages of moving to some place without considering the spiritual uh, necessity uh, that, we, that we have a church home and a church family and a pastor uh, as, uh, as the, uh, the Lord prescribed in His Word for us to have. I realize that uh, in the present culture is, there are many places in the world where uh, they don't have the blessing of having a church family like you and I have. They don't have that opportunity. There's many uh, places where, you know, the drive may be an hour or more to find a, a fellowship of believers who hold the scriptures in high regard and, and believe what uh, we believe about the Bible. So that is important for us as we, as we uh, you know, think about that in the, in the big picture in our lives. It's an important thing for us to consider. But as we take a look at the, uh, what we just read here and the passage uh, last week, Ryan touched on it a little bit in the earlier part of Hebrews in verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have the, spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. It's, uh, so the chapter really deals specifically with our relationship as pastor and people and the responsibilities that we have to each other and those things, it's important for us to see that and to function within the um, framework of, of uh, God's word, of God's plan for that. Uh, the flock, the idea of a flock, the word flock used there, and the idea of a shepherd and a flock does indicate the gathering together, the gathering together. Uh, there's, there's a great deal of significance in the choice that God made to call a, uh, a body of believers a flock. They're called a congregation, for we congregate together. And we live in a culture where that has largely been set aside. There's only about 20%, they say, of the American population that sees the need of attending a church of any kind on a Sunday morning on a regular basis. I mean, they'll all say, I go to church, but they mean Easter and Christmas in many cases. You know, They mean at the wedding and at the funeral in many cases. Uh, but when they say, I go to church, I'm there Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, or I'm there regularly, consistently, uh, the number drops considerably. Uh, for those that are faithful in all the services and revival meetings and everything, the number is going to be even lower than that. It might be 10% of Americans, 90% don't have that level of commitment, I would say. Uh, and, um, and so, uh, you know, you, you're going to, with a culture like that, you're going to understand that... Uh, Something has occurred uh, over the last hundred years in the minds of Americans uh, that uh, is similar to what has occurred in Europe. It is, uh, you know, well known in, that in Europe and in many other parts of the world, there are uh, the, the buildings, there are large church buildings, but they're largely empty. And across, the, across Europe, you'll find 
churches that have been converted into dance halls or bars or, uh, you know, or cafes or cafeterias or uh, coffee shops. And that, of course, is true here, too, in, in our large cities. What uh, areas of our large cities now have many old structures that were once uh, churches that proclaimed the gospel of various, you know, various denominations, various kind, but churches at least, you know, at one time or another preached the Bible to some extent or another, and, and yet today we see those cities, large cities often, you know, with, with no or little gospel witness, and once uh, buildings that were once filled with congregants are, are now empty, and so certainly that is something that uh, is happening uh, in America and has been happening for some time. And that mentality that moved from the importance of gathering together to, you know, the place where it doesn't really matter anymore, and I can take it or leave it, that that mentality is uh, contrary to what we see here in the Scripture, isn't it? We see a flock. We see a gathering of people together. It isn't, uh, it isn't possible to substitute something else for that. We have, my wife and I have family members that have found it convenient to uh, substitute something else for that. Not my kids, not my grandkids. Uh, they haven't uh, come to that point, and I trust they won't. <laughs> but uh, we have extended family members, and you do too, um, who identify as Christians, but have come to the place where they have found it in their uh, experience unnecessary to gather together. They, you know, there's, there's uh, various reasons they give, but none of the reasons is really a reason. It's simply an excuse not to be obedient to what the Scripture teaches us. A flock gathers, and a flock has a shepherd, and a flock congregates, and there's a family that gets together. A family wouldn't be much of a family if they never saw each other, or they never gathered together, you know. Uh, I know some of your family... It takes a little challenge sometimes to get together and be gathered with your family. Uh, and, and that, it's challenging sometimes for you. I understand that. Uh, we all have our idiosyncrasies, and, and you think you the normal one, and the, the rest of your family's abnormal, but uh, they may think otherwise, you know. Uh, you may be the oddball in their mind, and they're thinking, they're sure hard to get along with. But, uh, but a family that, uh, you know, never sees one another is, is, really, is really missing a great deal. And so... Uh, we thank God for the closeness that God has blessed us with in our family, and we actually enjoy each other, you know. We actually enjoy being together, and, and uh, we, don't have the, we don't have the generational issues that, uh, you know, some experience uh, with that. I mean, they may, they may make fun of me as I grow older about some things, but uh, it's all in, in good fun and, uh, and that, but... Uh, we certainly enjoy a close-knit uh, family relationship in, in our family. And I, uh, I, would, uh, be, I, would, I would know that something's wrong if none of my family ever wanted to get together with each other. And they didn't want to congregate. They didn't want to fellowship. They didn't want to be together. They all wanted to go their own separate ways. Something's wrong with that. And something's wrong with that in a, a culture that uh, promotes the idea that uh, we can have a fulfilled complete Christian experience without a, a family, without a flock, without being part of an assembly of believers. The very word church itself is the word ekklesia. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It means a called out assembly. And so 
the very word itself uh, demands the assembling of a flock together. And so um, flocks are, you know, are, a, are an essential component to God's purposes in getting His work done in the world. There's no indication in the Bible of any kind of a freelance Christianity where you come to Christ and you're saved and you got your own assignment and you have your assignment and you have your assignment and I got my assignment and we're just all free agents doing our own thing in the world and reaching the world that way. It's just not in the Bible, you know. It's not in the Scripture. And yet uh, many people believe that that's the way they ought to practice their Christianity. It's just, it isn't that way. We need to be gathered together as God's people, God's flock, gathered uh, together. The idea of a flock gathering together is, um, it suggests the, the, the attendant dangers that are there in the separation of a flock, you know. Uh, when the sheep are out away from the flock and alone in a, you know, in a, with, a, with an actual flock and an actual shepherd, when the sheep wander away from the fold and wander away from the flock, there's a great deal of danger for them there because, because uh, sheep are largely defenseless animals when they're separated. There are wolves and other creatures of prey that can easily take down a sheep. There are poisonous elements and weeds out there and the they need to be led to the green pastures. There needs to be some, um, some understanding of the importance of staying with a flock, staying together, and being among a people that uh, has uh, direction that is given by the Lord. So the flock, the flock is given a shepherd. And while it is true, as we saw this morning, that Jesus Christ is depicted as the great shepherd. He's called in the scripture the great shepherd and the, and the good shepherd in John chapter 10 where we were today, this morning. He's called the good shepherd. Here in the passage we have, he's called the great shepherd. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, he's called the chief shepherd. So I'm glad to, uh, I'm glad to take a back seat to the Lord Jesus Christ anytime as far as shepherding is concerned. He is my pastor he is our pastor. He is our shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And my position as a pastor is very much subservient to his and below his. I understand that completely and recognize that. And I'm glad that is the way it is. But all Christians will be gathered together one day into that fold in heaven. And all of us, you won't need a pastor anymore because you'll have, you'll be in, you'll be in the church in the air. You'll be... You'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints of all the ages uh, who, are, who are going to make up that great universal church one day. Every saved person uh, in, uh, from, the, from the beginning until the present, until Jesus comes again, is going to be part of that assembly. Now you say, how am I going to remember all those names? <laughs> you know, I counted up one time and we had 35 girls with names that started with A, you know, and... Uh, and to try to remember, you know, going through the list there, and all them, some families had their whole family was named, their first letter was A, you know. And, and so, uh, and how are we going to remember when the whole congregation that gathered together in heaven, the, the saints of all the ages are gathered there by the millions and multiplied millions. Well, good news, we're going to have the mind of Christ. <laughs> and we're going to know as we are known. We're going to not have the restrictions of this temporal mind and temporal body that we have, that'll be a great day. That's going to be what, uh, you know, we look forward to. That's the, 
general assembly and the church of the firstborn that we were introduced to earlier in the book of Hebrews. We saw that coming. We see it in prospect, and that's really what the Bible teaches about the universal church. It's not, it doesn't exist now. It's only in prospect now, but it will exist when it's gathered together. I mean, you can't have, you can't have church without gathering together. It's not church, you know. It's, it's a, a, the called out assembly. It's, you can't, you can't fit the definition if you're not assembled. So, uh, so we, ha- we get it. We understand that. That's the universal church. That's coming. We won't need pastors uh, in, in the earthly sense in that day because we'll be gathered home safe and there's no, there's no danger anymore at that time. I'm excited about that coming. And the way this world's headed, we're getting more and more excited about the prospect of it as well. So... Uh, so the shepherd, though, has a flock that he is charged with the responsibility of leading and guarding and feeding. That's what we're called to do. We're called to lead the flock. We're called to feed the flock. And we're called to guard the flock. We, you know, we are concerned. We, as pastors, uh, uh, are deeply concerned to guard the flock against doctrinal error. We're deeply concerned when... When, uh, you know, uh, things creep in, teachings creep in from the world that are not biblical and we, you know, we, we want to get on those things and we don't want to just say, well, everybody's got their opinion and so forth and whatever, you know, and that, that's not the way we approach it. We believe that the Bible is clear on, uh, uh, on doctrine. We believe that it, God doesn't leave us in a place where we have to just guess what His Word teaches, that we can know it and we can learn it and we can then preach it and teach it and we can guard the flock of God. We're told to do that. In 1 Peter 5, we're called to take the oversight, to take the oversight of the flock to be that, uh, you know, gives us the, uh, the indication of how important it is to uh, be willing to lead uh, the flock in the direction that God wants them to go. You know, we don't, we don't have the kind of government that, uh, that says, well, just, you know, let's all decide what we're going to learn this week, and let's all decide what we're going to do this week, and let's all decide, you know, what we're going to believe about this doctrine and that doctrine. We don't, you know, we don't do it that way. It's not, that's not the biblical means. The pastor's called to take the oversight thereof, and he's expected to lead not only by his words, but by his example. You know, any pastor that is worth his salt understands that the responsibility that he has to lead by example, he's exhorted by the Lord not to look on his ministry as a, an occupation. You know, I didn't. I didn't go down to the job center and just say, you know, what I what a, you know. I didn't get an interview and they'd say, well, what what do you guys think I'm best qualified for and where, where I can make the most money? None of them said, well, you, probably being in the ministry would be the way you can really advance your your financial career. And really make it big, you know. <laughs> so none of the job counselors suggested that. Not even my mom suggested that, you know. My mom didn't even. She said, you're doing what? <laughs> you call the ministry? You can't make a living in the ministry. She knew me pretty well, you know. And uh, so you're not going to make it, you know. <laughs> and uh, what are you, how are you going to take care of your family and so forth like that? And mom was, you know, kind of out of the will of the Lord at that time. But she got right with God after uh, a while and after she knew I was, uh, you know, serious and got called to ministry and God was in it. And well, she got right with God too, you know. And she said, I'm sure glad, uh, I'm sure glad you, uh, you know, you listened to the Lord and, and not mom in that case, you know. So, so uh, but the, the, uh, the, the idea of, uh, you know, the, uh, 
the ministry as an occupation, being a pastor as an occupation, that's foreign to the Bible. It's not in there as a career choice, you know. It's, a, it's not a career choice. It's a calling from God. I didn't, go, I didn't even go to Bible college expecting to go into ministry. I just went because I didn't like the, what was happening at the University of Arizona, and I uh, didn't have any sense that I was going anywhere with my, uh, my uh, chosen field of engineering. And so uh, I was, was convinced by a friend of mine to attend uh, a year of Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College. And I thought, well, you know, what's to lose? It's a year and maybe I'll, you know, pick up some good friends and it'll be at least an environment that's uh, conducive to growing as a young Christian. I was a new Christian at the time and I thought, that, you know, it seems to be good counsel and... Uh, I'm not seeing any, you know, seeing anything, you know, any uh, uh, fireworks or anything over here at the university and in that direction. So uh, I went ahead and did that. But I certainly had no intention whatsoever of being called to the ministry. I didn't know God did that, you know. Uh, I was only saved a year or two, and I didn't understand what, uh, you know, what that was all about until a few months into the Bible college experience and God called me to uh, surrender my life. I surrendered initially and then as time went on, he made it clear uh, his desire for me was to uh, surrender to, to uh, train to be a pastor. And so that's, uh, how that, that's how that thing goes, you know. The pastor's not charged uh, with the idea of, you know, you, you need to seek this because it's a good career opportunity. No, that's not the way it, it is. Uh, we're, uh, we're given a call and, and are to respond to that. You may be here and perhaps God is calling you into a surrender for ministry. You might be, there's been many over the years in our church and our congregation that God has spoken to and called to some aspect of ministry and they've gone and trained for ministry and um, that's really what the, that's the, the step that you take, you know. I have had in the past when I was a young pastor in Oregon, uh, guys that would come and they'd see, you know, boy, you know, it looked like that'd be exciting to get up there and just yell at people and tell them what to do and everything. So I said, I'm, I think I'm called to pastor, you know, and uh, can I, can I, can I speak next Sunday night, you know, and they were ready, you know, <laughs> so I had this, well, you know, let me show you what the Bible says about that, it says, uh, him that is taught, you know, the Bible says that it's got to be him that is taught, Titus 1, 9, as he hath been taught, you know, uh, you're, um, if you're called to ministry, there needs to be an interim period of time where you learn something, you know, where you learn something and you are taught of others who have been there, and so it is. So uh, the pastor is charged to, to hold fast the faithful word, it says in Timothy. The book of, uh, of Titus, I mean, uh, Titus and the books of Timothy have a good deal to say to preachers, to pastors, and among the things that we're told is we're to hold fast the faithful word we're to hold fast sound doctrine it's a responsibility that we have and we uh, we learn sound doctrine because we've been taught by someone before us who was taught by someone before them and it goes all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ you know we we are not in the business of just being freelance pastors that's not the way it works we're told in the uh, in our call we're told this is not to be done it's not an occupation not for filthy lucre he says not to make a living not to get rich off of not to see it as an opportunity to to get some money out of people you know uh, that's not where it's at at all so so uh, as a, a pastor we have that calling and we have that responsibility 
as Ryan, uh, you know, uh, pastors and preaches, he's got the same responsibility as I do. He's got to answer to God the same way I've got to answer to God as well. And uh, the Lord, if the Lord tarries in this congregation uh, uh, over the next 10 years and 20 years and 100 years has pastors in it, every one of them will have the responsibility to answer to God for what, uh, how they led the congregation. So, so uh, uh, how, can, uh, how can a congregation of believers you know, enter into the ministry with the pastor and, and help a pastor uh, be able to fulfill the responsibilities that they have? Well, the, the seventh verse of, the, of last week where Ryan was was one of the things he touched on a little bit, to remember them, to remember them really particularly in prayer. Uh, in one sense in which he's talking about remembering them that have had the rule over you is he's looking back to the ones in their past that had had a ministry influence on them and to remember them and to remember the end of their conversation, remember how they started and how they ended their life and how they gave themselves to Christ, that, that, that one aspect of it is looking back on those that Paul referred to, uh, you know, in their lives that had, had that influence, certainly. But uh, to remember them in the sense of praying for them. In fact, he says specifically in verse 18 where we read of pastors, he said, pray for them, pray for them. And one of the ways we can enter into the ministry together is to pray for those uh, pastors, for our teachers, for those that are in leadership in, in a congregation, but particularly, he says, in this context, to pray for the pastors. Pray for us, he says. Pray for God's protection from the temptations that come in the world. Pray for God's power in preaching. I, uh, you know, understand fully my uh, inability to produce anything that is going to make a difference in anybody's life. I get it. I understand that. It's not going to be any, by anything I can do. It's got to be if anything gets done at all, if there's any response at the invitation, if there's anyone saved, if there's anyone surrendered, if there's anyone submitted, it's not going to be anything I've got power in myself to do. It's got to be the power of God that does it or it isn't going to get done. And if it's not done, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's, it's not done because the power is there and people praying for the preacher to have power in God is, is just as important as the preacher submitting himself and praying himself for the power of God in preaching and in ministry. So pray for God's protection, pray for God's power, pray for God's wisdom in leading a flock and a congregation of believers. It's, it's so important. Pray too that God will be glorified in our ministry, in our congregation. Thank God for those uh, who preached this morning at uh, Pendleton Basin, 41 more Marines trusting Christ as their Savior just this morning. Uh, this, this is part of the overall ministry of a congregation of believers and part, uh, part which I'll have to answer to too. So don't mess it up, guy. If you mess it up, I'm going to have to take the lumps for it, you know, from God. So don't be, don't be messing it up, Brother Cy. You, get, you, get, you guys get in there and do it right, you know. Don't make a mess of things uh, because then I have to say, Lord, uh, you know, I've got to explain this. You know, they taught this and I know they messed up on that one, you know, and uh, no, you got to get it right. you got to be sure you're preaching the truth when you're there because I'm the one got to answer for the ministry of our congregation. And so we, we, uh, we have that responsibility, and that's something we need to ask your prayers on, to pray that God gives wisdom in that area and to pray that His name is glorified 
you know, pastors got no business trying to make a name for themselves, trying to get themselves in publications, trying to get their picture on the cover of the Baptist Bible Tribune and all that, you know. We got no business doing that. We got no business starting our own associations and naming after ourselves. And, and uh, you know, we, want, we don't want this to ever be called the Bill Wrench Memorial Church. You know, we don't want that. Uh, happening. We're, we're not supposed to be in the business of promoting self. We're supposed to be in the business of promoting Christ, you know. And uh, that's, that's what should be remembered when, uh, when, we, uh, w- when it's all said and done. We shouldn't remember, well, that was a great sermon. We should remember, he's got a great Savior, you know. He's got a great Savior. So we pray that God, we want you to pray that God will be glorified in my life, in our ministry, in our congregation, that God will be glorified. So, um, we're, how do we help in promoting the ministry? How do we help a pastor, whoever that might be, or an evangelist? Uh, how do we help them? Well, we follow their leadership. We follow their leadership. The, the great shepherd said, I lead my sheep and they follow me. You know, they know my voice and they follow the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, said that. And, said, and Paul said, now listen, follow me as I follow Christ, but uh, followship is very important. Sheep follow the shepherd. They know his voice. Sheep trust the shepherd because they know that he's trying to lead them to, uh, to pasture and to still waters. He's trying to lead them to growth. He's trying to lead them to where they'd be protected. And that's part of the responsibility that we pastors have. Uh, and uh, it's so important to, for us to, 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 to uh, see that as a congregation of believers. Uh, there's spiritual protection there in following uh, the shepherd. There's growth there. There's effectiveness in our service there because we're, we're doing it God's way, you know. Uh, we're doing it God's way. And he says, consider the end of their conversation. Consider the end of their life. Look at the pastor and his family and their life, and that's got something to do with whether they're qualified to lead or not. The Bible makes it pretty clear that if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, he's certainly got no business ruling or leading the church of God because it's the, we're considering the end of the conversation and we're saying, man, his life's a train wreck. His, his family hates him and his kids can't stand him and his grandkids are out in the, in, you know, in the world. And that's not a good uh, place to be in, um, you know, in, the, in respect of leadership. It's okay in the world, you know, in the secular business, in the business world. Uh, you know, they're not, they don't really care if the guy's got good, you know, organizational skills and abilities. They don't really care what his what the mess of his family is like, but it's, it certainly ought to count in the ministry. Nobody really belongs in the ministry that's made a train wreck of their family. They just need to go get a you know, truck driving job or something and get out of the ministry because the, uh, part of the ministry is the ministry of example. You know? um, it's, it's got to be there. So, uh, so, you know, grandkids, if you mess up, you know, I'm going to have to go be a truck driver, so don't, don't screw it up, all right? <laughs> don't mess it up, grandkids. I'm going to be watching you. Uh, so, uh, but it, th- that is so. That is so. We, we have, we've been charged to not only lead by preaching the word, but we've been charged to lead by example, being an example to the flock, we're told. We're told that's our responsibility. So uh, considering that in is that. Uh, now, uh, one of the ways that we help a pastor, one of the ways that will help those that stand in the pulpit preaching the word is that we don't give heed to conflicting voices. If I'm preaching the doctrine of the scripture and I'm preaching the Bible and, uh, you know, we get on the internet or we get on the TV evangelist or we get on the radio and we're listening to Joe Blow preach, you know, and he's 
preaching things that are contrary to what's being preached here, you got to listen to one or the other. You know, you got to you got to get under one or the other. If you want John MacArthur to be your pastor, then you know, go to John MacArthur's church. You know, uh, if you want, uh, you know, um, uh, if you want uh, David Jeremiah to be your pastor, then go to J David Jeremiah's church and and uh, submit yourself and get behind him and and serve there and do that. You know. Uh, if you want Kenneth Copeland or Kenneth Hagee to be your pastor, I don't even know if they have a church. They're flying around all the world making money and everything. I don't know if they really have a church someplace. Uh, but uh, if you're listening to these guys uh, on the televangelists and people on the radio and uh, guys on the Internet and, you know, these kooks that get on the Internet and get a big following on the Internet, got some crazy ideas and, and boy, it's so wild. You want to listen to it for a while and pretty soon you think, well, maybe he's got something there. That's a conflicting voice. Uh, if you want, you know, Stephen Anderson over there, that kook over there in uh, Phoenix to be your pastor, go over there and go to the kook school and be, you know, uh, be one of his congregants. Go ahead. <laughs> if you want to do that, he's, he's got a lot of Internet fame. He's like a YouTube star, that kind of thing, you know. Uh, so if you, want a, if you want a YouTube star to be your pastor, then, you know, call, call him when you go to the hospital and, and, and talk to him when... You need prayer and uh, that kind of stuff. But that's not the biblical way. The, the way that we help uh, uh, forward any ministry is that we get all in on it and we recognize our, our responsibility not to be uh, listen to that and listen to that and always have these conflicting arguments in our mind about, well, you know, maybe the pastors are all messed up on doctor. Maybe you can lose your salvation. Maybe, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe that Internet guy is right, you know. Uh, uh, Hagee seems like a sharp guy, you know, maybe he's right on all those issues, uh, you know, maybe I'm missing out on this speaking in tongues business when the preacher says it's done and finished and over and, and uh, it's, it's an apostolic gift, well, maybe he's not so right, because I heard this guy and he sure seems, you know, he sure, sure seemed to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, knowing his stuff on it like that, well, then, you know, if you think that's so, go be a, go be a disciple of uh, uh, of uh, Hagee, John Hagee, or whoever you want to be. But uh, recognize the importance of not giving heed to conflicting uh, voices. That's the idea. The sheep, in the case of this morning's message, the sheep know his voice. Uh, the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. They, they, there's a connection that is there. And it ought to be there with uh, a congregation of believers and their pastor. We, we do have that there, and I thank God for that. Uh, we have that, but I've seen, uh, you know, uh, situations in churches where, you know, everybody's, everybody's got their, their little group and their little clique and their little set of ideas and, and so forth, and there's sort of a little undercurrent that goes all the time. You know, that's not a comfortable place to be in, you know, when uh, people are spreading uh, all these conf conflicting uh, ideas and there's no harmony, there's no unity, there's no fellowship, there's little fellowship. That's not the way it ought to be. So... How do, we, how do we carry forth the ministry and, and help in that and be part of the uh, solution and part of the unity? Well, we understand the importance of a shepherd flock relationship there. It's not just, it's not like we just decided, you know, there's a lot of different choices in church government and we'll just choose the one that seems to be, you know, the, the best for us. It's not that, you know, uh, it's not that. It's not like, well, there's lots of styles and they're all just as valid. Um, here's the board-run church. Here's the plurality of elders style. Uh, here's the, you know, the democratic church where every member gets the one vote for every issue. And you know, what color, what color uh, toilet paper we're going to buy this month? Green, yellow, blue, or white? 
uh, all in favor say amen, you know, and uh, that kind of thing. There's, it's, it's not just the style of leadership. It's what the scripture teaches is the way the thing is supposed to function. So if we get that and understand that, things, things work so much better. Thank God for that. The uh, shepherd is called on, by God to watch for the souls of the flock, to watch for your soul. Uh, I'm charged with that. I'm supposed to watch for your soul. That has to do with guarding. It has to do with doctrine. It has to do with the truth, you know. So uh, the, the radio church preacher can't do that. The televangelist can't do that for you. He can't watch for your soul. He doesn't even know who you are. He doesn't care who you are. Except if you send money, he, like, he likes you then, he gets to know you then. But, uh, but the, the internet coffee house church cannot, cannot watch for your soul. You see, it's the loss of accountability that's so, so uh, crucial here. When you get out from under a, a congregation of believers and a pastor and so forth, the accountability is gone out the window. And that's what people like about that. That's what people like about internet church and about TV church and stuff. They don't have to have any accountability. Nobody asks them, where were you on Sunday? Nobody cares whether they come or go or don't. Nobody cares whether they're in their Bible or, or not. Nobody cares whether they have abandoned prayer or not. Nobody cares whether they're into this sin or that sin or not. Nobody cares. Nobody asks them. Nobody confronts them about it. Nobody uh, reproves them, rebukes them, or exhorts them. And they like that, you know. I, I like, you know. We live in a culture that doesn't like any kind of authority. We don't like anybody telling us to do anything. And so uh, we reject that, and, it, and the rejection comes all the way into the spiritual realm. It is uh, very evident today that we as a culture, uh, by and large, promote that kind of a mentality. So one of the things that makes a great deal of difference is if we get it on that, if we get that the pastor is given charge by God to account to God for the uh, welfare of the souls of the people of that flock. It is, and, and there's an accountability there, you know. There's an accountability there. So uh, very important for us to get that. The, uh, the, 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 the 17th verse makes it real plain that, um, you know, I'm in big trouble if I just let this thing go, you know, and, and just let the thing run. However, obey them, have the rule over you, submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. And I want to give account the way he says there, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. You know, I don't want to stand before the Lord full of grief because I can't give a good account of my leadership. I can't give a good account of the congregation's fellowship. And I don't want to stand before the Lord with grief. Uh, I, I'm not looking forward to getting him getting his rod of correction out and, and uh, you know, doing business on me. 50 lashes, well laid on, you know. That pastor did not do what he was supposed to do. So uh, uh, so the, the shepherd is held accountable to God. So biblical pastors are, are working in, in conjunction with our great shepherd. We're in conjunction with him. As verse 20 and following says, Now the God of peace that brought you again from the, uh, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work. He's talking about the people, the congregation, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, he says, congregation, he says, go ahead and suffer the word of exhortation. It's interesting that he chose that 
term, suffer the word of, of exhortation. It's sometimes, you know, exhortation is difficult to, to swallow, difficult to take, and some of the other things that go with exhortation, with correction, instruction in righteousness. He said, suffer, allow the word of exhortation to be uh, effective in your own heart, in your own life. And uh, so it is, it is the perfecting of a good work, the completing of a good work that we see there, the providing of encouragements to do God's will as part of a pastor's work, provide encouragements to you to do God's will, to obey His word, to encourage us to be pleasing to the Lord. As we saw last week, well-pleasing to the Lord are the sacrifices that we can give Him of thanksgiving and the sacrifices of praise that we can offer up in song uh, unto Him. The songs ought to be sung with a heart of praise, you know, and uh, unto Him, pleasing, knowing it's well-pleasing to the Lord. And uh, here the idea of being well-pleasing to the Lord, as he says uh, on down there, he says uh, uh, that uh, these things are, are all working together, uh, that the Lord might be glorified in that, uh, in verse 21, that, uh, that working knew that which is uh, well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. So uh, we want to we please our Lord. We we don't, you don't need to please the preacher. You don't need to please, uh, you know, uh, each other nearly as much as you need and I need to please the Lord. And so, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I thank God for uh, that spirit that already exists in you. It's almost like, you know, we're preaching to the choir tonight. I get it, you know. I understand that you're, the Sunday night crowd is the, is the crowd that already has a heart for uh, doing right, has a heart for pleasing God, has a heart for following uh, Christ's uh, pattern of uh, leadership and, and that. I get it. I understand that. Thank God for it. Put us here in the book and we came to it and we couldn't just skip over it and say we're all done and stop last week, you know. So, so uh, thank the Lord for that. And I thank God for uh, our relationship that we enjoy. Uh, let's, uh, you pray for me, I pray for you, and let's continue on and, and uh, ha have the Lord to help us keep making improvements because we certainly, you know, have not arrived, and we're not at that place where God said, I want them to be perfect, complete, you know. We're not there yet, so let's keep working on it. Let's stand together, give an invitation. If you want to respond at the altar tonight and come, you can do that. And uh, if the Lord has been working in your heart about other matters, maybe something this morning or maybe in a Sunday school class or something during the course of the week that the Spirit of God is, has, um, you know, had heavy on your heart, maybe tonight you ought to, let uh, the Lord uh, have His will, His way completely and just surrender all to Him this evening. And, and so I encourage you to, to uh, consider that tonight. Perhaps you're here tonight and uh, you're convinced that uh, you haven't come to that place where Christ is your all in all and your Lord and Savior and you'll, you'll respond tonight. Maybe that's been something working on your heart for a while. Perhaps you're here and you need a church home. You feel like this is where God would have you to be. I I uh, want to encourage you. You need, you need to be a church, part of a church family in a flock someplace. And so if it's here, thank God for it. We hope it is. And if it's not, we want to encourage you to find that place if you're a child of God and get plugged in there and get with it, you know, uh, get with it. So that's, uh, that's what we all ought to be, we ought to be concerned with. Let's uh, have a word of prayer and, and uh, as God leads, uh, you respond. Father, we pray your blessing on this invitation time. We Ask, Lord, that you would help us all to know that uh, we have different roles that each one of us has, and we know that every one of us is responsible and we're going to be held accountable to you for fulfilling our various roles, um, whether it be mom or dad or, or um, 
preacher or pastor or Sunday school teacher or, or uh, leader in the congregation or uh, worker with the children. We all have roles, responsibilities we've got to answer to you for, and I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we consider our responsibilities that we'll take them serious, uh, seriously and that we'll, that we'll uh, come out to, to be pleasing to you. We pray for the end of our conversation, that we won't just start good and live good a while, but that we'd be able to finish well. And so, Father, I pray that you'd uh, bless the invitation now. If, if we ought to respond tonight, help us to know it, know it and be led of the Spirit of God to do that in Jesus' name. And while we sing 541.